all of us, but we're talking about passing it on today. Before I speak, I'd like to uh, welcome again all of those who are visiting with us, and it's great to have you. You're more than welcome in this place. This is a place where you can be yourself, and where no expectations and no uh, strings attached. We just want people to come and worship God with us. We usually have communion every week, and we will be after the sermon today. So if you think that we've forgotten we haven't uh, it's just not in the normal liturgy <laughs> in the normal ritual we're going to uh, share in communion a little bit later also this year there are going to be just a few changes in the way that we do church uh, just in the, just in little ways to start just the way that we do announcements and those sorts of things uh, so if you have things that you would like announced would you speak to Jill in the office during the week before Thursdays? And uh, then we will be sort of stopping this uh, verbal announcement stuff as much as we can and having what's called five before. And we're going to encourage people who are in, in a ministry, like a home group, to come and do a two or three minute video segment about their home group, that sort of thing. And those things will all be shown five before the service starts. So I encourage you to come five minutes before and those sorts of things will be happening as well as your written Rivers News. So we'll phase that in and uh, that you might think, oh, change, I don't like change. Well, uh, the, the older we get, the more rigid we get. Isn't that true? We probably need a good dose of Danka rub or something uh, just to loosen us up a little bit. But um, that's what I'm talking on today, passing it on. And this is a conversation that I want to intentionally uh, stimulate through our whole life as a church. What does it mean to pass the baton? What does it mean to pass on those things which we have learned, those things that we have experienced in life, our, our uh, understanding of God, the teaching of the Scriptures? What does it mean to pass it on? For I believe that passing it on or passing the baton as it were is a part of the heartbeat of God for his church I believe that for sure have you ever wondered why God chose certain people in the Bible and even sometimes I wonder why God even chose me but I think about people like Abraham why did God choose him why did God choose this one man living in a funny town called Ur? Wouldn't that be funny if someone says, where do you come from, Ur? <laughs> we came from this place, Ur of the Chaldees, and uh, to become the father of the chosen people, to become the father of many nations. The one who's, through whose lineage Jesus Christ, the Saviour of the world, would come. Why would God choose Abraham? Why didn't God choose someone from Samoa? Why didn't God choose someone from uh, whoever else, Germany? Why wouldn't God choose someone from somewhere in other than where he chose Abraham? We read in Genesis 18 that God chose him, uh, God chose him for it says, for I have known him, I have singled him out. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. He knew 
that Abraham would think generationally. He knew that Abraham wouldn't think just of himself and his family, but he would think of those who would come after him. He knew that Abraham would pass on the things he learned from God. He knew that that the truth about God's power and God's care, not just for his children, but his children's children, and that's why God chose him, because of the man that he knew Abraham to be. I want to just have a look at a few uh, selections of a few Psalms today, and I'll be bringing out a number of scriptures today in uh, this message. And what these Psalms are doing are saying what God is like in terms of passing on. Passing on, not dying, but passing it on. Passing the baton from generation to generation. And so we look at, hang on, we'll try this again. No, we'll have to help, help. Please, Debbie. Psalm 71, 17 to 18. Since my youth, God, you have taught me and to this day I declare your marvellous deeds. Even when I am old and grey, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. God, don't let me die until I've passed on what I've learned from you. Don't let me die until I pass on, not just to some obscure someone, but to the next generation. Let me pass on what I've learned of your power, what I've learned of your might to the next generations. And we go on to Psalm 78, verses four to seven, and it says, we will not hide, from their, uh, hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and, and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands. God commanded, it's not just an option, God commanded that they would pass on what they knew to the coming generations. It's not an optional extra. God commands us to pass on His life, His power, His, uh, the things that He has shown us in our lives to those who are coming up. Psalm 79 verse 13 is not so long. Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever from generation to generation. We will proclaim your praise. And then Psalm 145 verse 4 says, One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. You hear the theme and there's many other uh, references through the Psalms about that. A generation to generation transmission of truth. A generation to generation transmission of understanding the power and the mighty acts and the praiseworthiness and the compassion and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. The history of God and the history with us, His story and His reality. We often read in Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of fame 
or the great hall of faith. If you've read uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and I would commend it to you if you have never read it, that it, it's a great inspiration uh, about those who have lived by faith. And it talks about uh, people like Abel and Cain and Enoch and Noah and uh, all of these guys, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and these guys who act by faith and Rahab and uh, ladies who've lived by faith and have been a forerunner in those places of faith. He lays it out generationally, and I love reading it. If you take some time to read it again, you will see that he's laid it out generationally and sequentially. And it funnels down to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Since such a greater cloud of witnesses are surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and every sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And it has this picture of the, the athletic stadium and all of these guys and women of faith sitting up in the stadium urging us on and urging us on and the stadium is full and if you've ever thought about stadiums there's this saying that if you sit right up the top it's the nosebleed section but in the in the Hebrew uh, uh, this in these days they talked about it being um, the cloud section, the place in the clouds. That's why they say, since such a greater cloud of witnesses, since such a big group of witnesses are surrounding us, let us run with endurance. All of these people who did great exploits of faith are sitting in the stands and they're concerned with what happens in the next generations. They're concerned with our race because it is a relay race. The baton is handed on from one generation to the next generation to the next generation to the next generation and the race is not yet complete. The stand is full of faith witnesses, those ones seated in the clouds in the nosebleed, nosebleed section. They're, in, they're right up the top, right down to the bottom. It's full. We have entered into this same race. We are in this race. Some people don't like the idea of passing on the baton. We've copped the heat and the burden of the day. We've sacrificed ourselves. We've spent the money. We've raised the funds and we've paid for it. And now you're saying to pass on the baton? You want us to stand aside and let the young people have a go? Is that what they, that God says that we should do? That's not the idea at all. The idea is it's about generations running together. It's about old and young, in-betweens, all running together. When the runner comes along the track, the next runner paces alongside of him. And when the baton is passed, both hands are on the baton. It's not just throwing it and someone else catching it. That, net, that one takes the baton and the other one grabs the baton and there's, at that point there's two hands on the baton. 
God is in the business of generations running together. In the Christian life, it doesn't happen in a moment or in a day or in a week or in sometimes a lifetime. The generations have got to run together. It's going to be a commitment to that for my whole life. God has really been speaking to me about this uh, or putting impression on me about this for some months now. That we've got to work on getting this right and doing it the best that we can about passing on this baton. If we were to have a look at the last verse of Malachi, which speaks of John the Baptist preparing the way for Christ's ministry, it says, He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. A better translation is, He will turn the hearts of the children with the fathers, and He will turn the hearts of the fathers with the children. Both hearts together pointed towards God having their eyes on Christ, the author and the perfecter of their faith. Joel the prophet spoke some words which were repeated by Peter at the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.17. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Here's three generations. Sons and daughters, young men, older folks, old men. He speaks of multi-generations empowered by the Spirit of God. Together. And if we're going to walk this journey of being stimulated to passing the baton, we've got to be stimulated together. And it funnels down in that uh, particular Acts 2.17, it funnels down to verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The idea is this, three generations working together, empowered by the Spirit to speak to a lost and dying world. We need all generations together. We need all of you. It's so easy for churches to polarise into generations. If you've ever uh, moved around churches, sometimes you get some churches that are all old. And then sometimes you get churches that are all young people. It's very rare to get a church where it's all generations together. And one thing I love about this church is there is a heart for all generations. And that's something that we can't just let run by itself. It's something that we need to work on. Something that we need to be intentional with. Something that is rare, but something that is God's purpose for His church. I want to just give you a couple of examples of when the baton was dropped. In Judges, and there, there are a couple of long readings, so, and a, a, just a comment in between. I just want to let this, the Scriptures talk for themselves. Judges 2, 7 to 12. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who lived, outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he laid down for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, imagine that, son of Nun. Who are your parents? I don't know. Go on, the son of Nun. Anyway, the servant of the Lord died when he was 110 years old. Imagine living to 110. That's my dad's uh, aim. And they buried him with the border uh, 
with the border of his inheritance at Timnath Heres in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. When all, of the, all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, one generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals or the Baals. And they uh, forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. An entire generation was lost to God. How drastically tragic is that? Joshua and his generation saw some mighty works of God, but the following generation walked away. Modern technology, modern music are all good, but they're not enough. Our young people, young people, need to be introduced to the power of God and a personal encounter with the living God to get onto our knees and to seek God again, to seek God for the next generation, to seek God for our world, to seek God for our community. Yes, we need to be culturally relevant. Yes, we need to be able to talk the language that people understand. That's important, but it's no replacement to a personal encounter with the living God. If that doesn't happen, we risk, we risk losing a generation. 1 Samuel 8, another example, 1 to 5. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Samuel was one of the greatest characters in biblical history. A great prophet of God. He led the nation but he failed to pass on to the next. Israel went from a theocracy, which meant that God was in charge, he was the king, that God was king of everything, and it went from a theocracy to a monarchy where earthly kings took over. Samuel was dedicated to God, but he didn't pass it on to his sons. Samuel could hear the voice of God. Remember when God spoke to him and he ran to Elijah, if you remember that story in the middle of the night, he heard Elijah, Elijah, and he ran to Samuel and Samuel says, no, it wasn't, uh, to Elijah, and Elijah said, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. And he heard the voice again, he went back to Elijah, it wasn't me, went back to bed, came to Elijah again, and Elijah said, you gotta listen for the Lord's hearing. And when he says it, speak Lord, for your servant is here, is listening to you. He learned what it was to discern God's voice and yet he didn't pass it on. Samuel, why didn't you pass it on to your boys? Now we realise that the timing of God in someone's life is his, but we are called to pass on how God has connected with us to those coming up. 
Pass on the strength of God in your life. And here's a great example of, of this happening, of it not happening in King Hezekiah. In 2 Kings 20, 16 to 19, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? Now look what happened in verse uh, chapter 21, 1 to 6. Manasseh was 12 years old when the, he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hebzabah. Don't you love Old Testament names? And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars to Baal and made wooden, uh, made wooden image as Ahab king of Israel had done. And he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he made his son pass through the fire, practicing soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And if we were to read on, it says that, that he filled the streets of Jerusalem from one end to the other with the blood of humans, those sacrificed uh, and... and um, those murdered and killed and even sacrificed one of his own children to a pagan god. He plunged the nation into a season of murder and darkness like they'd never known before. If we don't build bridges to the next generation, we risk losing them and I'm seeing it in many places already. I'm seeing young adults who once said Christ is my Lord have fallen away and are, uh, are drinking, doing binge drinking Saturday nights and getting drunk together and thinking that's all okay. And living lives of debauchery and living lives away from God, there is this falling away in this loss, in this generation that is coming up that we need to be on our knees for and we need to be passing on to and not losing them. Hezekiah just said, as long as I get peace in my days, as long as I'm comfortable, as long as I'm happy, as long as I'm okay, the next generation will just have to fight their own battles. How many times have we had that attitude? How many times am I guilty of such an attitude? God is calling on you to be fathers and mothers to those coming along. Paul says to the Corinthians that they had lots of instructors but not many fathers. One of my calls in this church is to be a father to the young adults coming up. Why? Because I was shown what it is to be a good father. 
It was passed on to me and I want to pass it on to others. I want to pass on the love of the, the Heavenly Father, as, as imperfect as I do it, but pass on that love of a Heavenly Father to those who are coming so that they know what it is to be loved like a father, so that they know what it is to be a son or a daughter. And we know in our culture that there are so many young people who have no father, who have uh, an absent mother. And they need fathers and mothers. Now, I'm going to leave finished. The failure to pass the baton doesn't always rest with the older generation. Sometimes it's the younger generation who's at fault. We read the story of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was took up the leadership after Solomon. During Solomon's reign, Jeroboam scooted off with a bunch of people off to Egypt because Solomon was really cruel. So they came back, Jeroboam, we read it, remember, and uh, said to Rehoboam, now that Solomon's dead, would you treat us with kindness and goodness rather than like him, he treated us badly. And what did Rehoboam do? He consulted with the elders and the elders said, yeah, they're right. Treat them with kindness and goodness. And he rejected it and went to his mates and said, what do you reckon? He said, nah, double it up. Feed them with scorpions. Beat them harder. Double the punishment. Beat them into submission. And there was the failure. Rehoboam wouldn't listen to the wisdom of the old men. We know better than you, and I remember being a teenager, and I hope that you can remember too. I remember that when I, I turned about 35, my dad seemed to learn a lot. <laughs> Do you understand? My dad and mum knew nothing until I turned, had, had children of my own. I think, oh, maybe they were right. As young people, we have this drive and, and desire to do good and sometimes we just reject our parents. They don't know anything. <laughs> There's that old saying, it's hard to put a... It's impossible really to put an old head on young shoulders, I suppose. But wisdom comes from both sides, even if what we do isn't cool. There's no such a thing as cool before God. The older generation needs to be flexible and not so rigid and to be open to and accept to open and accept it's like Fonzie with sorry to open the older generation needs to be open to and accept change Hands up, when, as you're growing older, do you become more rigid? We all do. We all tend to do it. And we all tend to do the good old days thing. We all tend to do it. It's time to intentionally say, I will not. I want to be remaining flexible. Music style preference is a classic example in all of this. A letter came to a church and it says, I'm no music scholar, but I feel I know appropriate church music when I hear it. 
last Sunday's new hymn, if you can call it that, sounded like a sentimental love ballad you expect to hear crooned in a saloon. If you insist on exposing us to rubbish like this in God's house, don't be surprised if many of the faithful look for a new place of, to worship. The hymns we grew up with are all we need. That letter was written in 1863. <laughs> and it was referring to the hymn, Just As I Am. You young people, you, you don't know what Just As I Am is? Ever heard of Billy Graham, the great evangelist? That was the hymn that they would use to call people forward to repent and to... I won't sing it for you. Here's another one. What's wrong with the inspiring songs we grew up with? When I go to church, it's to worship God, not to be distracted with learning a new song. <laughs> I thought that was really good. Job, yeah. Last... Last Sunday's was particularly unnerving. The tune was unsingable and the new harmonies were quite distorting. That was written in 1890 for a, for a hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Take, take a, a listen to this excerpt from a U, uh, US newspaper objecting to the new trends in church music. And this was written by a pastor to, a, to a, a guy who writes music. Now, there are several reasons for opposing it. One, it's too new. Two, it's often worldly, even blasphemous. The new Christian music is not as pleasant as the more established style because there are so many songs you can't learn them all. It puts too much emphasis on instrumental music rather than godly lyrics. This new music creates disturbances making people act indecently and disorderly. The preceding generation got along without it. It's a money-making scene and some of these new music upstarts are lewd and loose. This was written by a pastor in 1723, attacking Isaac Watts, who wrote, When I survey the wondrous cross, joy to the world, and oh God, our help in ages past. <laughs> oh, how times have not changed. Because it still happens today. It's too fast, it's too slow, it's too loud, it's too lively. It's not like when I grew up. I heard about some other complaints saying some of those same things when Amazing Grace was released. When Be Thou My Vision was released back in those days. I remember being asked to preach. Now, change tack. I remember being asked to preach in a high Anglican church. And in this high Anglican church, they had uh, incense and the prayer book and uh, liturgy and ritual that I wasn't used to. And it wasn't my style. But I want to say, when I kneeled in that church for the Eucharist or for communion that day, God visited me in an encounter to a depth that I had never experienced in a church before. Even though the style isn't ours, even though it's something that we're not used to. God is the one who encounters us, encounters us in our heart and in our lives 
And in that high Anglican church, all I could do was weep because I encountered God or He encountered me. We need to be willing to change and to adapt. Young people, I want to say something to you. Don't hold the church hostage. If it doesn't look like us and it doesn't sound like us, we're not coming. Don't hold the church hostage. That's putting yourself up as, a, as God of yourself, not putting God first. We all need to do some embracing and some changing. Old, in between and young. We're all in this together by the grace of God. We can do it well. We can't just serve our own generation. We've got to serve others in other generations. It's really hard to do it. It takes commitment. It takes hard work. It takes all of us. And you might say, oh, but my energy's not the same anymore as it used to be. That's okay. But life's wisdom and life's skills and learning from your life is something that you can pass on. Your prayer life is something that you can engage in for the next generation. It's not just the pastoral staff who's responsible. It's all of our responsibility to encourage, to uplift, to make disciples, to see others coming along in the faith and living out their faith. Older folks, we need your wisdom. We need you. We desperately need you. Even if you've got platinum blonde hair now, we need you. We need your wisdom. Young people, we need your vision. We need your energy. And you need us because you don't have any money. <laughs> God is doing something in our midst, my friends, in this place we call Rivers Church of Christ. Together with the other churches in this, in this area. We join together because God is doing something in our midst, but we have the decision now to commit ourselves to connecting the next generation with God, to helping them, to ministering into them. Let's come in line with God's plans for us together. Will you be a part of that plan? Will you? Will you be a part of that plan and say, God, whatever you want, I'm willing. Wherever you send me, I'm going to go there. Whatever it costs, I'm going to give that. Even if it costs all the money in the world, we'll give it. Even if it costs all the bank account and the properties and everything, we're going to give it. I'm not saying that God's calling us to do that, but I'm just saying the attitude. We're going to give everything that we have because we want to see the Lord of this world spoken into the next generation and I'm asking you and I'm challenging you as this church will you make that commitment together and if you're visiting from another church will you make that commitment in your own church in your own area because God is calling each of us to do that very same thing